I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. Eurovision, we've got it covered. Hello everybody, it's been a while since we did one of these. It is time for a special bonus episode of the Eurotrip podcast. It is fantastic as ever to have you with us for what we are calling, James, the Backer Bonus. You may be wondering, why on earth are we calling it the Backer Bonus? But I can put you out your misery and tell you immediately... It's because we've got two backers on the podcast, uh, one of which is Sietze. You may well have heard that very brief snippet of him on uh, on Wednesday's usual episode of the Eurotrip. He is, of course, the executive producer of this year's Eurovision Song Contest. But alongside him on today's extra long episode is Gerben Backer. Now, he is the head of show for this year's Eurovision Song Contest. So we've got two men who are very important and know all sorts of things ahead of the contest in just a couple of weeks time i will reiterate as i've already seen both of them doing at various points uh, to say that they are not related as fabulous as that would have been to have two related backers working in very high up positions at eurovision this year uh, they're, they're not related as it turns out but they've both got an incredible history both of which we will go into in the course of the interviews that you're about to hear and we, we put the world to rights with all of them. We find out all sorts about this year's Eurovision Song Contest, which, terrifyingly and excitingly, is just a few days away. At the time at which we are recording this, and at the time at which this is going out, rehearsals start tomorrow? Yeah. You're listening on Friday. Rehearsals start on Saturday. Just 24 hours, maybe even less than 24 hours to go, until, I'm going to say it, Eurovision 2021 officially begins. Alternatively, you may be listening after that and the rehearsals may already be happening. And if they are, fantastic. Maybe pop them on. Maybe pop on the uh, the Eurovision live blog that we've seen that's going to be happening over the course of the next couple of weeks. Pop that on and just have a listen to this and then you'll be across absolutely everything. But uh, no, for Eurovision fans, this really is a must listen over the next hour or so because we get all sorts of answers to all sorts of questions that I know you will want to find out about. So we've got all that and more still to come. This is the Eurotrip. 
That's right, this is your bonus backer edition of the Eurotrip, in which we will be speaking to the two important backers of this year's Eurovision Song Contest. Very, very shortly, we'll be hearing from Sita Backer in the conversation he had with Rob. Uh, that's coming up in about half an hour's time. But first, Rob, the first backer, backer number one on today's episode, Nat Gerben. Indeed, the man with my favourite job title. He is the very grand-sounding head of show. Like, what does that even mean? I I appreciate we'll find out the answer shortly, because you ask him that very question. But head of show, what a brilliant job title. It is. You said it's very grand, it sounds very important, and it is. He is responsible for many things. I will put it to him very, very shortly to find out exactly what that job entails, because there's so many other job titles that I'm sure you'd have seen bandied around executive producer, executive supervisor, but we'll find out from him exactly what his job entails. But... He is very well placed to be doing this job because he's done it twice before, not for the adult contest, but twice at the junior Eurovision Song Contest in the Netherlands in 2007, in 2012, one of which, Rob, was at the Ahoy. So it's like a second home for Gerben. He'll be familiar, won't he? He'll be familiar with the surroundings. It does mean that he will hopefully not do what most people do when they get into a large arena. and just get a bit lost. They can be very confusing. I remember doing about four laps of the Minsk arena, not to bring it back to Minsk Ugh, again. It's been a while. Uh, it has been a while. I did about four laps of the Minsk arena at the Junior Eurovision Song Contest in 2018 because I couldn't find the right door. I walked through the canteen at one stage. Definitely <laughs> wasn't supposed to be in there. But in these COVID times, you can't just be wandering about willy-nilly. So Gerben, hopefully, that was a long way of saying, will know exactly where he's going. Yeah, absolutely. Gerben Backer, of course, the head of show for this year's Eurovision Song Contest, which means, in essence, he has been responsible creatively for most of what you're going to see on screen this year, for the running order, for the postcards, for the interval acts. This man is crucial in what you're going to see in the three live shows this May. So there's a fantastic conversation to come your way in just a moment where we speak about everything that you're going to see on your screen uh, in about a fortnight's time. Um, but first, I had to ask, this has been about a two-year wait for a Eurovision Song Contest to come around. So I started off by asking him how excited he is to finally have Eurovision just around the corner. Very excited, to be honest, because we've waited a long time uh, for this, uh, this moment. Actually, uh, two years. Um, well, as you probably remember, the show was cancelled in 2020 and we uh, produced an alternative uh, in May 2020, Shine a Light. Um, but then, quick after that, we started uh, reproducing the, the, the shows for, uh, for 2021. So actually, well, almost two years uh, we are working on the shows uh, up to come. So I'm pretty excited that now we're for real in the venue and that we are rehearsing here in the lovely Aoi and uh, that everything is uh, coming together right now. So uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited. Um, so is everybody else, I'm sure. It's so exciting to finally be coming around again after such a long time of waiting. Um, of course, you are the head of show this year and there's so many other roles. There's the executive supervisor, executive producer, head of contest. So yeah, I think we want yeah. to know exactly what your role is as the head of show. So give us a brief idea about what your responsibilities are. Yes, uh, I'll try to explain. Uh, the head of show uh, means that I'm responsible for uh, the, three, uh, the three shows creatively, the three uh, uh, running orders. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, each show uh, show contains uh, special VTs, openings VTs, opening acts, uh, interval acts, a lot of interval acts uh, during the grand final. 
So I am uh, creatively in the lead to create with my, with my team, of course, all the uh, unique content uh, produced here from the Netherlands and uh, broadcast it uh, in May to a lot of uh, viewers uh, all over the world. Um, and during the show week, I'm responsible for uh, yeah, the three running orders, so also for the, the scripts. Uh, I'm guiding our hosts. Uh, I will be in the, in the OB truck during the three shows. And uh, if everything is going to plan, uh, well, uh, then then uh, then I can sit back and enjoy the show. Uh, but if we need to uh, to uh, to to change some some things because uh, something went wrong or we are running out of time, everything can happen during a live show. Then uh, then I'm in the lead to decide what to do and how we are going to fix it. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm creatively in the lead, uh, and it started all with a creative process in which we uh, um, we yeah we thought what should be the story from the Netherlands uh, during Eurovision in 2021. And then uh, we are working with, with several teams uh, on all the unique content uh, for our three shows. It's safe to say that you are very busy. You have been busy. You will continue to be busy this year. But also you are a very well-placed person to be in this role because you've worked twice in the same role on the junior Eurovision contest back in 2012 and in 2007 at the same place at the Ahoy as well. edition of the Junior Eurovision Song Contest 2007 and we are so excited to be here tonight. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It was really helpful because uh, I've done it for the Junior Eurovision as you said and of course uh, the production is, is much smaller than uh, the big adult version. Uh, we, we've got less countries uh, uh, to participate but still uh, you need uh, to think and create a unique show. Uh, the team, the opening, uh, the video transitions uh, as well. Uh, so yes, for me, it was really helpful uh, to get a kind of a rehearsal for me as a person during the junior Eurovisions. And uh, now we are ready for the, for the real thing, uh, I think. Absolutely. And of course, you mentioned earlier on, you were there with the team last year in 2020, when unfortunately the contest, as we know, got cancelled. How difficult was it for you and you, the rest of the team to have put this work in for the 2020 edition and then ultimately for that to be cancelled and taken away? Yeah, of course, um, it wasn't what, what we expected. Nobody could know uh, that this this crisis uh, should, uh, came up and uh, yeah, actually... Uh, yeah, took our lives. Uh, well, that's not real. <laughs> we should say it in English. I think took our lives because we're still alive. But you know what I mean. Um, it was dominating in our lives. That may be better to say. Um, well, actually, when um, the crisis started, I think it was uh, in the beginning of 2020. Um, uh, I, I felt that that it could be a big problem to, to do the shows in 2020. So I think, to be honest, I was one of the first in our team that had, had a feeling, well, this is not going to happen. This can be really difficult. And I can remember that one of my uh, colleagues sitting next to me uh, thought, and he was saying afterwards, he said, well, what was in your head? Because now I understand what you, how your energy was at the time, because I felt already, well, I don't think it's going to happen. But I couldn't say it because uh, the decision the decision was not made. It was, uh, yeah. I think the half of March uh, the decision was that uh, the show were uh, has been has been cancelled. Um, 
So to be honest, I was prepared on the on the cancellation, uh, and then I, I really thought we should do something else because the date of Eurovision is in all the schedules of all broadcasters. We should do something. Uh, this this is can be a unique evening to to connect with Europe and to tell the story of Eurovision on a different way. So uh, well, I, immediately we made we were producing and, and making our plans for this show, and of course. Uh, the biggest challenge in the first was to get everybody on board uh, that uh, they thought, yes, that's a good idea. And we're going to broadcast uh, Shine a Light. And uh, I think within a few weeks, uh, everybody was on board and uh, we could uh, produce the Shine a Light show. And for me, it was very special and also for our team that that we were still uh, on air during uh, the magical night on the 16th of May, which was planned to to broadcast the grand final of 2020. Uh, I think we succeed to tell uh, the story of that moment, how we were feeling all over the world. Um, of course, uh, the tone of voice of a show at that moment is very important. Uh, what, what will be the message to all our viewers? Uh, so it, was, yeah, it wasn't a big show. It was uh, in a tiny studio. Um, only the crew uh, needed. Uh, we were working uh, under corona circumstances, but I think, uh, yeah, it was unique and special to, to do such a show uh, at, at that time. And we can only thank you for, for pressing ahead with that as well, to give the fans around the world something to sit down and watch back in May last year, because having you, the contest taken away from us was very difficult. So we are so thankful that you yeah. pressed ahead and did something for us. Um, when did you and your team then start to look ahead to 2021? Of course, you obviously had some plans already made, but how quickly did you start to focus properly and fully on 2021? Yeah, well, um, I think uh, in the summer, uh, the first uh, new uh, ideas uh, came up. Uh, but actually, to be honest, uh, me, myself and my production team started in uh, September last year uh, to produce the shows uh, for this year. And of course, uh, we were pretty far uh, producing the shows for 2020. Uh, there was a lot of content. We were rehearsing with our dance crews. Um, my script was already... Uh, um, so we were almost ready to enter Ahoy and to do the shows for 2020. But of course, we thought, well, this is a new edition. Uh, there is, uh, is a lot going on in the world. Um, so it would be a little bit strange um, to think, well, we can do the same show as we have planned for uh, 2020. So we went back to our drawing table with our creative team and uh, we reviewed every element of the show uh, from video transition, opening, opening act to a big interval act. And uh, we, we looked very, sharply to all the content and asking still the same question is this still the story we want to tell in a new year after a year of absence of eurovision uh, and can we produce the act for example uh, under corona circumstances and um, that's why uh, in basic a lot of uh, creative plans uh, could uh, go further for the shows for this year but there has been a lot of adjustments as well because we wanted to tell a different story uh, and for example, for the for the grand final, we had a big interval act uh, with our top DJ Everjack and our classical orchestra, and the whole act was planned on our lovely stage. Uh, but in the end, then we had more than 150 people on the stage, and that was the plan for 2020. And my gut feeling was saying, 
well, this will not happen in 2021 because under Corona circumstances, uh, it's really difficult to 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 sh to to show all those people next to each other on our states. So that's why we made a new plan for this act as well. And this is just one example. We made a new plan uh, for the postcards. Uh, actually, every piece of the show was reviewed and. Um, I think creatively, uh, most of the elements uh, became better because we have more time to think about it and because we needed to make some changes. So uh, in the end, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the result. There's so much there that you've mentioned that I'm, I'd love to ask you a bit more about. Um, you've said that some of the elements from 2020 have been adjusted and adapted uh, to allow it to take place in 2021. Um, we spoke to Sita Baka, the executive producer, a couple of months ago on the podcast, and he told us that the theme music for 2020 had been scrapped and been changed for 2021. Um, so can you give us an idea yeah. about what else you had originally for 2020, but have uh, changed entirely or scrapped for this year? Oh yeah, there's a lot. So hopefully you have some time for this, but I will keep it as short as possible. Um, well, for example, example the, the openings VT of the grand final, uh, for sure, I wanted to tell a new story, a story of hope and, and uh, trust in the future. So we've created a whole new story for this openings VT, uh, telling the story of hope and the title is Transcending Light. And this VT would not exist uh, if the crisis wasn't there. Um, the, the, we changed the music because uh, I think after a year of absence uh, after the crisis and we're still in the middle kind of the crisis, uh, there will be new energy in our shows. Um, we changed the opening act for the first semi-final because I really thought when Eurovision is back after a year of absence, then we need to put all, all the energy in, in the first minutes when we are live back on the Eurovision stage. So uh, complete new music, a new vibe during the first uh, moments when we were live in the first semi-final. Um, we worked a lot with, uh, if I'm talking about live acts and opening acts and interval acts, uh, we will be much more integrating a pre-recorded video in, in, in the act. Um, creatively, very interesting, but also uh, uh, more secure that that the unique content is already on tape. Uh, so, uh, for example, the interval act uh, for the first semi-final is called the power of water. Uh, for the plans of 2020, we did not have a plan to, to pre-shoot a video. Uh, and now we did, and it will be amazing. Uh, so we had a pre-recorded uh, video. We had a shoot on, uh, on the Delta Works near the water of the Netherlands with our artists and uh, it will be integrated in the interval act. We made a new plan for the postcards as well, because as you can remember for 2020, we uh, had a plan to invite every artist to come over to the Netherlands. Well, we thought uh, the production period of the postcards is in between January up till the beginning of April. And we thought, well, there is a big chance that a lot of delegations in this specific period cannot come over. So we created a new plan, also telling the story uh, of 2021. So now in our uh, postcards, uh, the symbol of our tiny house uh, is at the center. Uh, and the house came up creatively because uh, houses in our life, our home, uh, became very important because of the crisis. So it, it's a symbol of the time we are living in right now. And in those 39 houses, we are telling the story of each artist uh, still. Uh, our classical orchestra, 
but we cannot place them on the stage. What can we do? Well, we can maybe we can shoot an amazing film video in the center of Rotterdam by night on the famous uh, Dutch famous Erasmus Bridge. Um, so we did that. Uh, we are now finishing the video, but it will be uh, very impressive, to, to be honest. And I think much more uh, surprising than our plans for 2020. So yeah, I, I think the ideas uh, we had and the concepts uh, has grown because we have a little bit more time and uh, because we were forced to think on a different way because of the crisis. I think yeah. one of the things you've mentioned a lot about so far is about telling the story throughout these three shows in May. How how difficult was it or how how much preparation did you put into trying to tell the story of the Netherlands, but also including so many uh, Eurovision-based elements? We know there's so many past winners coming on board, but you've got to find yeah. a balance, haven't you, of telling the yeah, story yeah. of the Netherlands, but also the history of Eurovision. Yeah, true. But, uh, well, to be honest, we've got, got three shows with a lot of content, so it's not that difficult to find the right balance. Uh, of course, we are uh, aware that, that in each show um, the balance should be okay. Um, so we can present in each show uh, a lot of uh, legacy, Eurovision legacy moments. Um, uh, I think uh, in the grand final, we've got the performances of former winners uh, in uh, the interval act to rock the roof. Uh, I think that will be amazing. Uh, it diverges from, from Lordi to uh, a winner of the Netherlands from the 60s, uh, Lenny Coeur, and everything in between. Uh, and they all will perform on unique locations um, in Rotterdam. And I think that will be amazing. But also, you're right, uh, during the first and second semi-final, we've got special video transitions uh, in which we go back with, with former winners to their unique winning moments. Um, so that, of course, we want to stand still by the, the legacy of Eurovision because it is the 65th edition of the Eurovision uh, Song Contest. So kind of a celebration. And now after a year of absence, uh, I think uh, people and our viewers are longing for those special Eurovision moments uh, as well. Uh, but then again, there are a lot of moments, uh, other moments in the show uh, in which we can tell uh, our story of the Netherlands uh, in an opening act, in an interval act, uh, on, a, on a unique way. So there's a lot of uh, minutes to be filled. So we, we, we are able to, to, to create a lot of unique content, uh, telling unique stories. You mentioned Rock the Roof uh, with all of these previous winners that we're going to see in the grand final this year. I don't know if you remember the switch song that Israel uh, showed uh, back in 2019, where they had three yeah. previous winners, I think. Ladies and gentlemen, buckle up because we're about to take a crazy ride. First stop, please give a warm welcome to the winner of 2014 Eurovision, Conchita Vest! Did you look at that in 2019 and think, okay, they have three previous winners. I want to try and double that. I want six on my on my show. Yeah, of course. No, no, no. That was not my conclusion. But um, I thought we should do it on a different way because it's always possible to invite uh, an artist on stage and uh, to let them perform. And then you, you can make a new version of it or combine songs together. And that, that's special. It was special in, uh, in the during the shows in Tel Aviv. But I thought, 
we should do more with our lovely city here in Rotterdam because Rotterdam is an amazing city with, with uh, if you're looking with a, with a film film director's eye uh, to all the locations, especially by night. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's beautiful. And to be honest, I was kind of inspired by um, the VMAs uh, earlier this year. Well, yeah, it was this year, I think, in 2020, uh, where the weekend performed on a rooftop uh, in, uh, in New York. And I thought, well, that's a picture I like. So let's try to do this with former winners in Rotterdam. So we started uh, the hunt uh, on the three unique locations. Uh, so we're going to switch from the, the, the one location to another. We've got three different locations. Uh, so yeah, that, that was the plan. I, I think it, it, uh, our biggest aim was to be different than earlier editions of Eurovision uh, and to use our host city, Rotterdam, as a kind of a second uh, location to do uh, performances. It's been a bit of a blessing in disguise, hasn't it, really, that you've had to adapt and change things to a different edition of the Eurovision Song Contest, where instead of having these interval acts uh, predominantly live in the arena, you can play around with things a little bit more and you can showcase not only just the arena that just looks like any other arena, but you can really showcase the city this year, can't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. More than ever, I think. Uh, I've seen all now. Nah, yeah, I, I think I've seen all Eurovision shows starting from the 60s. Also, I wasn't born that uh, in that year, but uh, I've, I've seen them. Uh, no, I think there wasn't an, an, an Eurovision edition, edition in which uh, the city has been shown that much than, than this year. Um, yeah, I'm happy with, with, with the concept because I, I love the idea that you're using unique uh, locations uh, in a big show production. Uh, we know how to do that in the Netherlands. Uh, we've got several uh, shows in the Netherlands uh, in which we did that before. Um, yeah, so so creatively, it's very interesting. Uh, it's a very interesting approach to do that. Now, looking ahead now, we are very, very close to the contest, the, to the three live shows coming from the, from the Ahoy in Rotterdam. What is it like for you at the moment? Obviously, we know a lot of it has already been pre-recorded, which I guess makes your life a little bit easier. But I guess there's still a lot to be done. Oh, yeah, there's still a lot to be done because, of course, we've got pre-recorded uh, material, but also a lot of live acts to be rehearsed uh, on stage. Um, so now we are doing the stand-in rehearsals uh, today. So our contest team is pretty busy with the stand-in rehearsals. And also to rehearse all possibilities, what can go wrong during a voting and what to do. So there is a lot to be rehearsed, but yeah, we, we're on schedule. Uh, the script is for 90-90% uh, ready. We are finalizing every VT for the show. Uh, they are almost ready. It, it's just finalizing in grading and, and special effects and, and adding some lower thirds on it. Uh, our musical director is working on, on uh, some, some underscores missing but now also everything is almost ready and let, well, let me think after that yeah we will start the, uh, the, the 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 delegations they will rehearse on stage uh, during daytime and in the evening we will uh, also rehearse uh, the show and interval at uh, special moments uh, with our host and after that week uh, then it's uh, showtime so uh, yeah now it's going really fast uh, i think 
Absolutely. Very, very exciting indeed. You mentioned about the hosts there as well. We've got four incredible hosts who will be guiding us through these three live shows and you've been writing the script for the four of them as well. What's it like to be working with those four? Do you have to try and find out what kind of presenters they are and try and find the individual personalities to really make sure the four of them individually, as well as a team, come across on screen? Yeah, 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 you're so right. Uh, I, I'm so happy with the four of them. Uh, I've worked, uh, three of them I've worked with a bit a lot. Uh, Chantal, I did several live shows uh, with here in the Netherlands. Uh, Jan as well. And also Atelia. Uh, Nikki, uh, Nikki uh, tutorials, Nikki Diago was new to me. Um, yeah, she, she is an online queen and phenomenon. And now she's doing more and more uh, on also on, on television. Uh, but she's uh, so gifted and talented. So uh, yeah, she's so doing really well. Actually, to be honest, we had um, planned for 2020 that she was only doing the online updates during our show. Uh, and then I saw her on stage during Shine a Light. And it was also only the online updates. But I thought, well, we should do more with, uh, with Nikki because she's very gifted and talented. So th- th- that's really fun to work with her. So now uh, every four of them will be, uh, yeah, actually the main presenters uh, of the three, uh, three shows. Um, well, Jan and uh, Chantal are focusing on the results. Atelia, uh, well, she has been on the stage uh, of Eurovision twice. So she knows what all participants uh, go through uh, during the show. So, so we will be doing the interviews in the green room. Uh, Nikki as well. And uh, Nikki will also be doing the online updates. So Nikki's more our online queen uh, and doing a lot with all the participants. And uh, well, it's going to be fun. We had. Uh, several readings already uh, and we run through the scripts and uh, yeah every every one of them is unique and that's what I like so that that's good. You also mentioned the uh, the running order a little bit earlier on as one of your rules I'm sure this is something you don't work on alone and it's something that takes a lot of effort from a lot of people I can see your face there as soon as I start to mention that give us an idea about what it was like uh, for the semi-finals because of course we know those running orders already so what was it like to try and come up with the correct running orders for those semi-finals? Yeah, to be honest, we do that in in our uh, there, there's a, a team in our team working on this. Uh, so we had uh, several meetings, uh, also of course with our contest team. Uh, they are really important because they know uh, everything about each act and what will be going on on stage. So uh, we had a meeting with them and with our multi-camera directors. Uh, so yeah, we locked us up in a room, listened to the songs. And then thought, well, okay, this should be uh, musically wise, perfect running order. But then again, there are some other elements, as you know. Um, if a changeover is very, very difficult, uh, then you don't want to have three difficult countries uh, after each other. So it's kind of a puzzle. But I think, uh, yeah, we succeeded in that. And uh, there were good, good inspiring meetings. Absolutely. I think one of the other questions about the running order now is the fact that Montaigne and the rest of the Australian delegation will be staying at home this year and she'll be using her her live on tape performance. Has that sort of thrown a a bit of a curveball? Has that created any problems for for the shows this May? No, not really, because we are prepared on on, on those kinds of situations. Uh, As you know, uh, every delegation has got a backup uh, VT. So, uh, well, unfortunately, uh, she cannot come over and, and that's especially a pity for her. 
but uh, the good news is that we still can uh, share her uh, song uh, uh, during the contest and she still can win so that that's still uh, still possible and uh, of course we are trying to make contact uh, during a live show with Montaigne in, in uh, Australia uh, and she will be there in her own uh, green room so uh, she won't be forgotten during our shows uh, and we will connect with her and uh, hopefully it, it's 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 just this country uh, that will not uh, participate uh, on stage uh, but everything can happen uh, we are living in strange times uh, so even when a delegation here is here in rotterdam and they did some rehearsals and as you can imagine uh, everybody needs to be tested before entering uh, our venue and if uh, a singer of, of delegation is tested positive then you cannot perform and then you need to stay in your hotel room and then we're going to start uh, the backup video uh, that's possible, but um, yeah, Montaigne is in the first semi-final and uh, we will uh, broadcast her uh, backup VT. And uh, I'll, of course, I will try to connect with her uh, during the show uh, to speak with her, how she's doing uh, in Australia in her green room. So much is changing as well at the moment. So fast paced, things are changing, things are being announced. And one of the most recent announcements uh, this week as well was we will definitely for sure have an audience in the uh, in the Ahoy in May. That must have been a big relief yeah. for you and the rest of the team to finally get that guarantee. Yeah, yeah, it was really, uh, no, it wasn't, how should I say it? Um, it was a thing on the agenda again and again. Will there be an audience? Will there be an audience? And uh, to, to present our shows, uh, uh, having an audience is really helpful, as you can imagine, because it will create an, a complete different vibe uh, in the venue for our artists on stage, but also for our hosts. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, yeah, of course, we could do the show without audience. Uh, it still will be a beautiful show with perfect lightning, etc. But yeah, we need an audience. And I think uh, it's also good for all uh, the Eurovision fans to be able, and well, there are less seats than, than planned, to be able uh, to, to, uh, to go to, uh, to the Eurovision uh, shows. Uh, so it was a relief. Yeah, I, I'm really thankful to everybody that, that uh, it's possible. There has been a lot of work, not from me, but especially from my colleagues, uh, for example, Sietzebakker. Uh, I think uh, more than a day job uh, to be in contact uh, with all the authorities, uh, the government to make the right decision. Uh, but yeah, it's going to happen. So that's that's fun. That's good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned a little bit earlier on about how busy you are and what your role will look like on the night of the three shows. Of course, you'll be overseeing the rehearsals between now and then. Give us an idea, though, about what your role will be on, on the night of the shows. Will you be able to put your feet up and relax or will you have to be, will you have other responsibilities to see to during the shows? Well, uh, I, I don't think I'm that relaxed. Uh, I think, don't think that's good. Um, as I said before, I, I will be uh, sitting uh, next to the RTQ colleague uh, in the OB truck. Uh, in front of me, uh, the multi-camera director and his team and uh, the assistant of the director. Yeah, and then we're going to do the live show, uh, as I did before, of course, but this is the big, big one with a lot of viewers and a lot of pressure. Uh, and the, yeah, the pressure, everybody feels the pressure uh, in a good way because we want to, to, to show the best show ever. Uh, and that's also the vibe in the OB truck during the live shows. Uh, and you, be, you need to be sharp as a knife. Of course, you need to be aware of the timing of the show, etc. Um, 
but yeah, you need to be uh, aware that everything can happen and then you need to participate on the right way and uh, to keep your head calm uh, in crisis situations. So yeah, that's, that's where I am concentrating on. So now, uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm a person to prepare everything really well, I think. So for example, during uh, the results and the voting, I want to be 100% sure what to do if you have no connection, what to do if a spokesperson is saying the wrong information. Um, so a lot of things can happen, but that's why I like live shows. Uh, if you look at my um, track record, uh, there has been a lot of live shows because I like uh, the, the, the vibe, uh, the concentration uh, and the anticipation to, 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 to handle it really well when something uh, is, isn't going as planned. Absolutely. Uh, I know you are a very busy man. Uh, I will let you go in a, just a moment. But there's so many things that you've been working on for these three live shows. There's so much we know already about them. Clearly, I imagine there's a few little secrets that you still haven't told us about. It's still to be announced. Pick something that you want us to look out for. If you had to tell somebody watching at home, this is the, this is the moment I want people to look out for. This is the moment that I'm most proud of. Pick one thing and, and tell us what to look out for during these three live shows. Can it be two then? Or no? Yeah, of course. <laughs> it can be three, one from each show then. Three. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, to be honest, um, I think the, the, the interval act of the first semi-final with the title The Power of Water, uh, I think it's going to be spectacular. So if people uh, want to watch to the shows, I would say check out the first semi-final and, uh, and the interval act uh, starring on stage uh, one of uh, the most gifted uh, pop talents of the Netherlands right now, Davina Michel. Uh, yeah, visually, uh, I think it's going to re be really spectacular. We're going to work with augmented reality for this act and uh, yeah, it's going to be special. And if I'm talking about a, a, a spectacular interval act for the grand final, then I would advise to check out uh, the big interval act, Music Binds Us with the Classical Orchestra and, and DJ Everjack. Um, I think visually it's gonna be surprising because uh, a, a film is integrated in a live act on stage. Uh, people should watch how we do that. Uh, I'm not going to say too much about it, but uh, I think it will be uh, surprising also for Eurovision. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. I think you've given us a fantastic insight into what these three live shows are going to be like in May. And it's a long anticipated wait after two years of waiting. So thank you so much for joining us. I wish you the very best of luck for the three shows. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, with pleasure. And uh, well, see you in May, yeah? <laughs> in Rotterdam, maybe. <laughs> this is the Eurotrip. When you aren't listening, you can find us on social media. We're at Eurotrip Podcast. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. So there he was. We are 50% of the way there on our backer bonus here on this bonus episode of the Eurotrip. Uh, Seat Sabaka, the executive producer, one of. Uh, coming up on the podcast a little bit later. Uh, but I do have a bone to pick with you. I know that we had a conversation before you did that interview. Mm -hmm. And I said, why don't you ask Gerben about working with Duncan Lawrence on The Voice in the Netherlands? Because both of which have been involved with that show. Didn't hear that in the interview. 
Mm, yeah, it's funny you brought that up because, as you say, you told me before I spoke to Gurman, you said um, well, Gurman produced The Voice and, of course, Duncan Lawrence took part in The Voice. Why didn't you ask him about it? So I did and I said, uh, it must be wonderful to be working with Duncan again this year as he's going to be part of the Interval Act. Um, what's it like to be working with him again? And he pretty much said, haha, no, I've never worked with him before. <laughs> so what you're saying there is I threw you under the bus a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So Gerben had produced The Voice, the first couple of series, but Duncan didn't come along until the series after Gerben left. So you did throw me under the bus, and I took that out of the edit, just so I wasn't embarrassed, and yet here we are. Thankfully, you listening at home don't get to hear that uh, very difficult um, situation that I found myself in. Which is a real shame. It is a real shame. However, I do know that you did do some research because you were trying to then find... Uh, whether the time you know why the timelines didn't work when Gerben was involved in the voice when Duncan was on the voice and you couldn't find Duncan Lawrence yeah and I came up with a startling fact and apologies if this is common knowledge um, but as we found out the other day on the main episode of the Eurotrip Rob didn't know that James Newman wrote Dying to Try for Ireland in 2017 so maybe you knew that but there's these little tidbits of knowledge that seem to come out of everywhere did you know that Duncan Lawrence isn't called Duncan Lawrence at all? I searched his name to find out when he was on The Voice. Couldn't find him. Could only find one fella called Duncan Demure. And that's him. He changed his name. Every day is a school day. I think I find myself saying that pretty much every day because I just find out how little I know every single day. But startling. I think you described it as fact there. I also no idea that Duncan Lawrence was a con man and he wasn't actually called Duncan <laughs> Lawrence after all. Yeah, very remarkable. But before we get to Sitsa, uh, worth just reflecting on that conversation we had with Gerben. As we said at the top, uh, he is uh, creatively responsible for pretty much everything we're going to see in the uh, in the three live shows later this month. And it sounds like we're in for a fantastic show, doesn't it? It absolutely does. Come on then, tell us what that noise is. I thought we were going to get through the recording without you mentioning what was going on. A little tap tap away there. Yeah, I thought somebody was knocking on the door. My house is getting decorated just as we speak. Uh, I couldn't find any other time to get this done. And yet here we are. The decorators are hammering away, doing all sorts while we're trying to record this podcast. Well, if ever there was an excuse to get to our interview with Seat Tobacco, I think that is the <laughs> one. Uh, I was delighted to have another chat to Seats on the podcast this week. Because, of course, you may remember I caught up with him back in February, which feels like a lifetime ago now. The world back then, a very different place. Back then, we had no idea what the situation would be like with even the artists traveling to Rotterdam and the delegations. Of course, we were still in the midst of selection season. But we did have the news last week that we will have a limited audience in the Ahoy. So that is what I asked him first. But that comes after. I just thought I'd welcome him back to the Euro trip. Pleasure, pleasure. Thank you for, uh, for inviting me again. It is brilliant to, to have you back. I've got one pertinent question that I wanted to make my first question. How are you finding time to sleep? <laughs> well, I'm actually having a good night's uh, sleep, and that's because uh, everything here uh, at the Ahoy venue is going uh, very well, very smoothly, um, uh, everything on schedule. Uh, the puzzle is uh, is coming together, and, and we're having a lot of fun while doing it. So uh, all good reasons for good night's sleep. The, of course, big news that we had recently was that we will be getting an audience at the Eurovision Song Contest in 2021, which must be such a huge relief to both yourself and 
to the fans because we heard and I saw you in another interview say that you have been consumed by the coronavirus numbers every single day of your life for the last probably 18 months but we finally got that good news yeah it, it we're very happy with the, with the trust that the, the government is putting into us to to do that in the in the most responsible way possible uh, obviously it's also a, a it's a big big responsibility to do it as well and to do it right and to keep people healthy um, I think we're doing everything we can, also based on, on previous pilot events that took place in the Netherlands. So uh, all in all, we're very happy. It's not the, the, the big audience we originally hoped for hosting the 2020 contest, but uh, um, sort of our, our scenarios were prepared for an, an empty venue uh, for, for three shows and uh, to, to have the, the human emotion in the hall uh, makes a lot of difference for us, but especially for the contestants, because we all know artists, they need their audience to, to, uh, to perform at their best. How nervous were you about that decision before the decision was made? Because I think for many of us watching on from afar, we thought the more likely potential, you know, version of events is that there won't be an audience. So to get the good news through was just a, a fantastic turnaround in fortunes. It has been it has been pretty um, uh, exciting, uh, not not always in a positive way because uh, hospital numbers are still high, infection rates are still pretty high. At the same time, you're starting to see the um, the positive impact of vaccination, uh, seasonal influences, um, uh, immunity. So. You know, it, it, it's been, uh, it, it, it's challenging. And I think we, we have to keep a, a close look at the numbers, a close look at any concerns there may be with, with healthcare professionals. So we are in, in regular contact with the with healthcare workers here in, uh, in Rotterdam uh, to make sure that, that we are doing, uh, that we're doing the right thing and that we do it right. We know, of course, that you've been scenario planning for an incredibly long time. Have you had to make any tweaks to your scenario planning, even in the last couple of weeks, even in the last few weeks, to to satisfy the authorities that it would be a safe event with an audience? Well, the the, the we can have an audience because this is a so-called field lab event, and field lab is a collaboration between the government, uh, several institutes, uh, and the event industry. Uh, it's based on the notion that you you do behavioral study into into how you can safely organize events with an audience, uh, even amidst a pandemic. Uh, because even though there's light at the end of the tunnel, uh, it's not over yet. Um, and these pilot events, uh, I think there have, there have been about 10 now, have, have really given us incredible insight into what you can do to, to do an event in a responsible way and, and, and minimize infection risk to the absolute minimum so we had to constantly update to implement all these insights and just remind us who that audience will be made up of it's it's 2020 ticket holders am i right and and fans of course from from the netherlands yeah we we've made a promise last year that everyone who had a ticket for the 2020 contest will be given the opportunity to uh, buy tickets for the same show. Now, obviously, there'll be less tickets, so it'll be harder to to get them. But those people will be first in line to buy those tickets. 
At the same time, there are obviously travel restrictions. I'm sure there will be people making all the effort and, uh, and that's incredibly admirable. At the same time, we'd like to um, uh, really call upon people to follow the instructions from their national governments uh, and, and to do the right thing. And if, if, if that means you cannot come, that's obviously unfortunate, unfortunate but uh, uh, Eurovision is back uh, and will continue. And there will be many more opportunities uh, uh, in the years to come. And hopefully everyone will enjoy those three live shows uh, on television. Now, back to much happier news away from coronavirus. I want to ask you what it was like to host the King of the Netherlands. That must have been an incredibly exciting day for you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and and our our, our king is uh, even though it's it's always um, exciting if if he's around. Uh, he's he's an incredibly accessible uh, person. He's very curious. Uh, he loves big events. Uh, uh, he's been a member of the uh, International Olympic Committee for many years. Uh, and and what was interesting was when he was here on site. Apart from the 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 dozens of questions he asked uh, the crew. Uh, that he he sort of noticed that a lot of what we do here is very similar to how it works at the Olympics. So this truly is sort of the Olympics of uh, of, of music of singing, and uh, and I think that was uh, that was a big compliment. Uh, he was here for for two hours and fifteen minutes, which, as I was told, is 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 pretty long for a, for a visit, and he was incredibly impressed and proud of what we do here, and that obviously gives us uh, a lot of good energy as well. Does the king now have some some really important, I don't know, facts that you gave him that the fans don't have? You know, the king has got all sorts of knowledge that we're going to have to wait to see what uh, what happens on the stage. He was incredibly interested in all the technical details, sort of what kind of equipment do we use? Uh, how much is hanging in the ceiling here? Uh, we have over 200 tons of equipment, uh, light, audio, video, motion uh stored up in that ceiling and that's the most ever that this venue uh had uh what's also interesting is the two revolving doors in uh, in the set and uh, and we haven't shown uh, a lot of that yet uh but it's truly impressive to to see it all in motion uh, and it really gives us the opportunity to create uh, a, a wealth of different acts and and diverse settings we have the the diagonal uh, semi-transparent screen. Uh, we have pots that move up and down from uh, from the ceiling. Uh, the, there's a lot of technology that we can play with to create diversity in the different acts. And uh, it, it's all in all, it's great to see it all come together. And we really hope that the fans, whether they're here or watching from TV, uh, that they will be uh, be happy with what they see. Talking of that ceiling, I can only assume that you aren't scared of heights because I saw on your Instagram the other day that you you were up there. You were right at the very top of the arena. Yeah, I have to admit, I don't like heights at all. Uh, but our head of production invited me to uh, to walk the bridge across the uh, the ceiling above all the equipment um, uh, amidst the, uh, the the hoisting chains and the the air conditioning uh, installations. You know, there may never be an opportunity in my life again uh, to be not only in the ceiling of, uh, of Ahoy, which in the Netherlands is a legendary uh, concert venue, uh, but especially not during the song contest that we can host. So I just, just I went beyond the uh, concern with height and I just went there and it was a lot of fun. 
It, uh, it now sounds like I'm just stalking your Instagram because another question which comes from your Instagram is, is uh, I saw you, of course, addressing the huge team of volunteers who are helping to support the event. And, you know, just a word on them, because the event, of course, could not happen without such a dedicated team. And I think I'm right in saying, is it 650 members who are, who are part of that team? Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of people. And the reason why it's such a big team is that, you know, unlike people who are here employed, who obviously work here for, for many days or even weeks uh, in a row, uh, that's not something you can reasonably ask from all those volunteers. So they work in shifts. Uh, and we we obviously have a, a few in reserve as well for, for if anyone uh, is absent. Um, but we have all these volunteers supporting us, helping us, uh, adding energy to the project um, uh, everywhere in the venue there's there's different things to do and uh, and they're having a lot of fun and I, I really appreciate all their effort uh, in making this event happen I think one of the most interesting stories and there are a lot of interesting stories I love to talk to to volunteers if I if I have a few minutes left uh, one of the stories uh, that that most impressed me was that there was a uh, a medical professional working on the intensive care uh, in in one of Rotterdam's hospitals, and you would you would assume that that everyone working in in an ICU at this point in time is incredibly uh, busy, uh, stressful, tired, uh, and that is indeed the case. Nevertheless, she said, "I I, I want to be part of this this experience. Uh, I'd love to support wherever I can. I love Eurovision." And, and that was truly touching to see that someone who works so hard in healthcare um, um, also finds the time and energy, the spare time and energy to, uh, to support Eurovision. I found I find that truly heartwarming. The, the, the love for the Eurovision Song Contest really does show no bounds, doesn't it? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Now, of course, we put on our social media channels that we would be having a conversation with you today, and we got a whole load of questions. So um, I hope you don't mind if I just run through a few of them now. Not at all. Uh, I will start with uh, Guillermo, who got in touch on Twitter, and he simply asked, what is the most exciting part of your job? It, it really, it, I think the 8th of May, the day that the first delegations and artists walk in here, that sort of it that that probably will feel like a little victory for our team because we've worked so hard not only to make this happen but also to get the artists to Rotterdam to perform on that stage and um, uh, also for them they've most artists have been spending a lot of time at home no concert no gigs nothing to do no traveling and it it must be for them uh, a huge relief to to finally be here to know that they've made it, to be here on stage, to perform. Um, and, uh, and I think that will, that will give a lot of energy to get through uh, the final two weeks uh, of this uh, pretty remarkable journey. I think so. I think so. Uh, another question, which is uh, similar lines. Can you tell us a little bit about your career pre-Eurovision? This comes from Rodrigo, because I think when we spoke to you last time, when we spoke to you in February, we found out, of course, the incredible history you've got with the contest itself but Rodrigo was keen to find out what you'd done previously and how that has kind of got you into the position that you're doing right now well to be frank and and no one really asked me this question ever because 
uh, I didn't have a career before Eurovision. I started uh, getting involved with the song contest when I was just 16 years old uh, and sort of grew into it. Uh, in 2006, I had the, the opportunity to become a project leader for online at the EBU, um, set up Eurovision.tv. That was at the time that social media came up, that YouTube came up. Uh, it was an incredibly exciting time. And then in, in 2008, I became head of communications for the contest. And then in 2011, uh, event supervisor on behalf of the EBU for six years. And uh, I, I was just about to sort of take a step back from Eurovision and, and uh, explore other opportunities uh, until, uh, until the Netherlands won. And they called me if I, if I could help, uh, not knowing yet. Uh, that it would have the uh, the privilege of um, of, uh, of leading the project. But you do have as well the the amazing story that you were, you, and you mentioned this before we started recording. You know, you were part of the the fan community in 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 some way yourself before you managed to to rise all the way to exec producer of this year's contest. Yeah, exactly. It's it all started with um, uh, ESCtoday.com, actually, one of the fan community websites that. I found it uh, in in 2000, actually, uh, right after the Stockholm contest, and that sort of that grew a bit out of control, and uh, and I had a lot of fun uh, managing that for six years until I left for uh, for the EBU. Now, Joachim asks, and this is a really interesting question that I don't know whether you will have been asked this before. Um, he says the second semi final in 2020 would have coincided with 80 years since the bombing of Rotterdam last year. Was there anything planned to coincide with that event in the contest last year? When, when we realized this, uh, which was obviously pretty early on, uh, we did decide that we were going to address it in some form or way, because it would only be an appropriate way uh, or an appropriate thing to do. Uh, but we didn't we didn't have a clear idea of how to do that yet. We wanted to to give it attention uh, in a in a uh, with dignity, but at the same time, not make it too heavy because in the end, Eurovision is also an entertainment show. I think the city of Rotterdam they very obviously very strongly feel about that moment in history, but at the same time, it's also very sort of forward looking. Uh, city and 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 they they explained this to us so we try to find the balance between sort of addressing it in a in a in a dignified way uh but not making it too uh, too heavy but this year we we don't have that kind of uh, moment because the, the the shows are on different days we we also were lucky to to have a chat on on a similar note to um to the head of show of course of this year's Eurovision Song Contest and he made the point that more so than most other contests, this is a real celebration of the host city. We are going to see more of the city that Eurovision is taking place in this year, more than any other time that we've that's happened. So it is a real celebration of Rotterdam, right? Well, absolutely. And and let's face it, the city of Rotterdam has uh, has been a, a truly remarkable host city, uh, not just because of their past and their commitment to the song contest, but also because it only took them three weeks to reconfirm their commitment to hosting it, to make the financial resources available. Uh, the effort that they made to work with us to make this contest happen uh, in these times is truly unparalleled. And we believe that knowing there's, there would 
be less fans and less press traveling to Rotterdam that you couldn't have sort of the festive party mood throughout town that you usually have with Eurovision. We thought it would be most appropriate to uh, to really put the spotlight on uh, on Rotterdam. Uh, you will see that in the uh, in the uh, the interval act in the grand final uh, in ways that uh, that a host city has never been uh, shown uh, at the Eurovision Song Contest using all the latest technology. So that's definitely one to watch for. You uh, teased in another interview, I think I saw that, you know, augmented reality will play a huge part in this year's or at least a part in this year's Eurovision Song Contest. Can you tell us any more about that? Well, augmented is, is, is obviously an incredibly exciting technology. It's developing very quickly. So we will be using that for, for interval acts and, and opening acts. Uh, we've also explored to use it in other ways. But what you see is that it takes quite a lot of time to get it right. And we obviously want to get it right. So although I'm uh, at this point in time, the, the technology is too complex and too time consuming to use it for the contestants. You would need a lot more rehearsal time to get it right. But I'm sure that sooner or later, uh, it will be one of the tools in the toolbox for the delegations to uh, uh, to choose from. So it's really good that we're we're using it now more than in previous years uh, because it gave us a lot of learnings. We will pass those learnings on to the next host broadcaster and hopefully sometime in the next few years this will also be something that the uh, the participants can uh, can use from. Another question from uh, from Marcus on social media. He asked, will the way in which the televote is presented be the same as the way in which it was presented in Tel Aviv? I think it will, actually. That's, that would be a question for the EBU, actually, because they decide on, on how that is being presented. As far as I know, uh, it would be the same way. Um, but, uh, but I would recommend you check that with EBU. Okay, I'll fire off the email once we're done with this. <laughs> and and finally, Dan asks a question which I have seen so many people ask, and I'm sure many people have asked you on your own social media accounts. See, so what's the golden cage all about? <laughs> uh, the golden cage. It was funny. There was uh, we we had the press viewing here, and there were the journalists not really noticing it until one journalist sort of looked up and he, he saw that sort of golden kind of cage in the ceiling and um and he asked me sort of what is that all about i said well that will come down if you ask more questions like this um no joke joking aside this uh, this this cage will play an important uh, role in uh, in in one of our acts uh it's not for any of the participants it's uh, it's for one of our acts but uh yeah i think you know People are going to find out soon enough. Will we have to wait until the Saturday or will we see it on the Tuesday or the Thursday? Uh, who knows? <laughs> you'll, have to, you'll have to watch. I had to yeah. ask. I had to ask. Um, you mentioned it earlier on. The artists arrive really, really soon. And that is going to be such a huge moment for you and your team. Can you tell us a little bit more about the protocols for once the delegations arrive in Rotterdam? Because we, we know about the hotel quarantine already and we've had a lot of fun asking the artists what they're going to be doing in quarantine when they're in the hotel. Is it you turn up at the airport, you go straight to the hotel, you stay in the hotel until you rehearse? You know, can you talk us through a little bit more about the, the procedure? My goodness, how much time do you have? Uh, it's it's a, The protocol is about 
50 pages. It's available online. Everyone can read it. Um, what is what is most important is sort of these these basic rules like you know uh, wearing your face masks, um, uh, trying to stay away from from other people who are who are not part of the the event safe harbor as we call it, uh, and testing. So we test uh, everyone who enters Ahoy will have to get tested every forty eight hours. So that means that when the delegations arrive, uh, they'll first uh, go to Ahoy, get tested activate their uh, their accreditation badge and then they go to the hotel so that the next day when they come to rehearse they don't have to go through uh, through the testing and the inevitable waiting that uh, that it causes so um, so these are important keys inside we 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 always wear face masks unless you're seated or unless you're performing or doing anything in front of a camera uh, we do social distancing we have a lot of hygiene measures all over the place and um, uh, although I don't want to praise the day until it's over, but we're incredibly grateful for everyone uh, following it until now. Uh, we haven't had any coronavirus spread uh, inside the uh, inside the venue, uh, which we're very happy with, and would like to keep it that way all the way until we uh, uh, we hand back the keys to uh, to the Ahoy management. I think somewhere on the twenty sixth of May, which is ridiculous that you hand the keys back on the 26th given how quick how long it takes to build and then oh, yeah. four, four days later after the final that's it we're done yeah 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 no uh, putting it together always takes a lot more time than taking it apart again it's a bit uh sort of depressing after the grand final if you come back after two hours then it it's it looks sort of in an, it looks unrecognizable um i have this rule for myself i never go back uh, after the uh, the Eurovision tune at the end of the grand final, but I'm afraid in this role I, I will have to uh, I will have to go back and uh, uh, just uh, get it over with. We have known for a long time about the live on tape performances. We know that Australia will be using their their live on tape performance this year. I'm interested what happens if, and as you say, fingers crossed, this will not be a problem that arises. But what happens if an artist or one of the delegation tests positive between their semi-final performance and the final performance, if they qualify for the final, will you show the semi-final performance rather than the backup on tape? Yeah, again, that's the that, that's a question for the EBU. Uh, they 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 are in charge of the competition, the fairness of the competition, um, and that's a that's a judgment that they will have to make. What I what I sort of know in basis is that no one is truly interested in airing those live on tapes you you want to have the on-stage performance so if if it's possible that's the one that you want to have but it's obviously again up to the ebu to decide what is the most fair thing to do and then as a host broadcaster we will do everything we can to to facilitate whatever they prefer We've heard all the notifications coming through on your laptop during this interview, so we know how busy you are, and that means that I'll I'll let you go in a second. Um, but the, the last couple of questions from me, uh, the first one are, is, you know, it must be so real now. Now that you're actually in the Ahoy, you must just get such a buzz every day when you arrive. You must be stressed because you realise how much there is still to do, but you must get such a an adrenaline rush when you walk into the walking through those doors every morning at the moment. I must say, although it may sound odd, but the closer we get, the, the less stressful it feels because you see 
everything coming together. You see all the professionals doing exactly what they are supposed to do and do more because everyone wants to get it right. They want to do the best they can. Um, uh, so it's it's quite sort of comforting to to be here. The other day uh, I, I was here pretty late. Uh, I, I enjoy sort of the, uh, the the peace and quiet of the empty office, and I I decided to just pop into the uh, into the arena, uh, take one of the many empty seats, and and just look around and and you know see how lamps were being fixed and and things were being cleaned for the next day, and there was some technical. Uh, small technical rehearsals going on uh, just to sort of um, absorb it all because uh, Eurovision is a bit of a pressure cooker it's over before you realize it and um, um, I, I, I keep telling the team here uh, enjoy the road while you're on it uh, because uh, it'll, it'll be over soon and then it's up to the next host broadcaster to uh, to uh, to start from scratch and uh, do another great Eurasian song contest. If uh, if said broadcaster gets on the phone and they say, Seats, you did such a good job in 2021. Do you want to come back? What are you say? Yeah, you, know, <laughs> you know, every every country has their has their people, and uh, uh, so far, I think every uh, host broadcaster managed to find someone in their country uh, who's best qualified to produce that show, and I think that's healthy because. It adds the national flavor. You know, you know the way. You know, in in the Netherlands, I I, I know where to go if if we need anything from, uh, from the government, for example. Uh, and I, I wouldn't know that in any other country. So they can always rely on us to pass on knowledge and to give them advice uh, for the entire year. Uh, but uh, but but definitely not in the same position. Uh, and just finally, you know, you mentioned at the start of this interview that you will give yourself time to relax and chill out and all of that sort of thing from the 23rd of May, say, or even after that, you know, once the contest is over. I, I just wondered, you know, have you have you got a holiday booked? Are you planning on on just taking a break from from work for a little while? Because I do know as well that you you've got a, another arrival to the Backer family on the way later this year. So congratulations. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. No, uh, my wife, uh, our, our little daughter uh, and, and myself were, were expecting a baby boy in the end of August. So we're really looking forward to that. Uh, it's, it would be good to, uh, to relax a bit over summer and to uh, decorate the nursery and all that kind of stuff. Uh, really looking forward to that. But first, we have a Eurovision Song Contest to do. Absolutely, we do. See, so thank you so much once again for, for chatting to us. And maybe in between you painting the nursery and Eurovision being over, we can catch up with you and you can let us know how everything went. Maybe. Let's do that. Uh, let's uh, pull out our agendas afterwards and, uh, and we'll meet again. Brilliant. See, Sabaka, thank you so much. Thanks. Pleasure. Here we go. This is, this is the Euro Trip. Euro Trip. Well, that was very nice, wasn't it, to hear from Sita Backer again? And at the very end, I think that might have been another promise to get him back on the podcast for the third time. Uh, you've called it a promise. I'd call it entrapment. <laughs> I like to do things like that to interviewees because when they know they're being recorded, they almost have to give you the answer that you want. So I just thought, you know what, I'll, I'll ask Sita whether he can come back on. And uh, it, it, you heard it there. Maybe, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll have Sita back on. 
We did hear that there. Also, a little bit earlier on, we heard my decorators going uh, hammer and tongs, uh, making a hell of a lot of noise. And just there, we've also just heard your phone vibrate as well, did we not? Uh, we did, yeah. Uh, it's, what is it? Is it an important message? Uh, no, it's just that my girlfriend's dyed her hair and it's very blonde. Very nice. And we've also just missed your postman come as well. It's been a hectic day in both our households today, hasn't it? <laughs> it is all happening today, but we've put all that aside to bring you this podcast. And that's all that matters. It's been a fantastic episode. Uh, we thoroughly enjoyed speaking to these two very important people who are involved in this year's Eurovision Song Contest. We really, really hope you listening at home have been able to uh, set this time aside to gain a wonderful insight that I'm sure there's been some bits and bobs in there that you wouldn't have heard elsewhere. We love to bring you these conversations because it's just, for us at least, it's a thrill to be able to speak to these important people. And like I say, hopefully you get to enjoy it as much as we do as well. Absolutely. And thank you so much to the EBU for arranging for these interviews to happen and and for replying to our emails and and being so willing and generous with their time. So thank you to to both Gerben and to Sietza for joining us. Uh, We will, of course, return on Wednesday. We will be back with another edition of the Eurotrip. And on Wednesday, of course, because we will be in the middle of uh, rehearsal week, we'll be talking to you live. I say live live but pre-recorded because that's our podcast work uh, from the virtual press center which is very very exciting uh, you might still hear the hammering in the back of uh, james's <laughs> james's living room but maybe you'll also hear the hum of the media in rotterdam which will be exciting uh, and on wednesday as well we will be bringing you our plans for eurovision week itself uh, safe to say please put aside fair amount of time during Eurovision week because there's going to be a lot for you to listen to. Have you just done what I think you've done and announced that we are going to be having an announcement next week? Yeah, what do I always do? I always criticise people that make announcements about announcements. Uh, that's exactly what that is. That is an announcement for an announcement. So look forward for the announcement on Wednesday. Indeed. And that is when we will be back with you again uh, on Wednesday the... I was going to tell you the date, but to be quite honest with you, I don't know. And hopefully, as I fill for time, Rob will be holding enough fingers up in front of his camera to tell me the exact day. The 12th of May, we will be back with you next Wednesday for your next episode of the European Win. As Rob says, we will be in the virtual press centre bringing you all the latest news and big guests from the world of the Eurovision Song Contest. And I can also tell you, because it's already booked, it's very exciting. You might remember on Wednesday's episode, uh, we ended up talking about lost luggage in uh, in the Eurovision Song Contest in the past. I'm not going to explain why now. But we have an answer on lost luggage. And we will also be joined by a guest to talk to us about lost luggage at the Eurovision Song Contest. And I promise you, that is more exciting than it sounds. Lost luggage at the Eurovision Song Contest sounds like a very dull sentence to say. But it is a fantastic story there's going to be loads to come from that but in the meantime uh, don't forget you can follow us online you can get in touch with any of your comments and we'd love to hear your comments on uh, today's episode and anything else to do with the podcast we are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and also on the email we are hello at EurotripPodcast.com but until we're back with you next Wednesday don't forget to subscribe leave us a review and rate us five stars from me James it's goodbye and from me Rob it's goodbye